Well, let's pray. Father, we do ask that you would breathe your Spirit upon us. Father, that as we come to your Word, that we would be filled with your Spirit, that our desires would be shifted by your Spirit to healthy desires, that you would fill us with life anew. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, my friends, you turn with me in your Bibles to 1 John chapter 1, and we're looking at the first four verses, 1 John chapter 1, and as I say, the first four verses. Let's hear God's Word. That which was from the beginning, which we have heard which we have seen with our eyes, which we looked upon and have touched with our hands concerning the word of life. The life was made manifest, and we have seen it and testify to it And proclaim to you the eternal life, which was with the Father, was made manifest to us. That which we have seen and heard, we proclaim also to you, so that you too may have fellowship with us. And indeed, our fellowship is with the Father and with His Son, Jesus Christ. And we are writing these things so that our joy may be complete. Now, as we come to this uh, topic of fellowship this morning, let us... uh, remind ourselves why we are particularly considering it today. So I'm just going to take a couple of minutes now to do that before we get into the actual passage in front of us. Each of our four core values, uh, fellowship, learning, outreach, and worship, you'll see them depicted on the banners uh, to either side of me, Each of those four core values is being given a special Sunday to focus upon that value. And we're doing that this year, as this year is our 150th anniversary, our 150th birthday, if you like. And so it's an opportunity for us not only to celebrate the past, but also to look forward to the next steps that God in His providence uh, has for us as a church we trust. So those four core values, fellowship, learning, outreach, and worship, are each driven by the overarching vision 
which is expressed with the motto, proclaiming the gospel. In other words, we are a gospel-centered, God-centered church. And every single one of our values is shaped by the gospel and driven by that gospel. The gospel is not just the ABC of the Christian life, not just for the beginning of the Christian life. The gospel goes throughout the Christian life. It's the A to Z. And you'll find that taught in various places in the Bible, for instance, Colossians, where Paul says, since you have been raised with Christ... Set your heart on things above. Set your mind on things above. So our position as Christians who have believed the gospel and therefore been raised with Christ, saved as we would call it, does not mean that then we go on to other messages and ideas. No. Instead, in order to grow as a Christian and to grow as a church, Having been raised with Christ, we now set our hearts and minds upon Him on things above. Or Paul makes the same point in different words in his letter to the Ephesians, where he urges us to live a life worthy of the calling we have received. So having been called as Christians, the gospel has done its initial work in our lives, Now, we are to live in a way that not that is different or has no bearing on that gospel, but in reflection upon that gospel and motivated by that gospel to live a life worthy of the calling we have received. So, in other words, an emphasis upon grace, upon justification by faith alone, upon the power of the gospel That emphasis upon grace does not lead to passive Christians or lack of holiness being holy, but rather that emphasis of the gospel is a call to live in a way that is worthy of that gospel calling. And so we ask ourselves then, in light of this gospel, how can we live up to the standard of Christ who, who gave Himself for us? How now can we set our mind and our heart upon things above? We are motivated and propelled to find solutions to those kind of profound questions. So the way to avoid legalism, on the one hand, legalism is the idea that you are saved by what you do, legalism on the one hand, and license on the other hand, the idea, license is the idea that it doesn't matter what you do. The way to avoid either of those false extremes is to have a gospel-centered, God-centered understanding of the Christian faith. Now, as we just review this, this vision that we have Uh, Just to put it in a nutshell, as we do at the beginning here, to put it in a nutshell, holiness, being holy, being godly, becoming more like Christ, holiness is a supernatural work of Christ by the Spirit that requires our effort, sets your mind on things above. 
Live a life worthy of the calling you've received. It requires our effort, and the effort is to constantly depend upon Christ and to walk worthy of that calling we have received. All our works, as the old Puritans would have said, are Christ's work in us. So the holy person on the last day will say, I am only an unprofitable servant. I've only done my duty. Why? Because the power of grace and the gospel means that they understand that all is of him. They have worked hard. Uh, Paul puts these things together in a very hand-and-glove way when he says, I labor with all his energy which so powerfully works in us. They've worked hard, but that hard work is his work in us. Or as he says, I work out my salvation with fear and trembling. For it is Christ who is at work in us to will and to act according to his good purpose. Now when we come to this topic of fellowship uh, this morning specifically, And this passage here, which addresses that topic so clearly, we are touching on a particularly profound aspect of this general theme of our vision. So, John is uh, is telling us here about fellowship. And what he is saying is, and he has a very convoluted way of saying it, which is typical for John, Uh, In fact, John tends to talk like this throughout his writings. Sometimes you wonder why. Uh, If you really want to know what 1 John is about, 1 John, you can almost go right to the end of the book. Go to 1 John chapter 5 and, you know, he goes through this kind of roundabout route until chapter 5 verse 21. He, He tells you, this is what he's saying, dear children, keep yourself from idols. He gets there right at the end. But if... What John is saying here in this passage is, and here's the introduction to it, where does joy come from? Where does excitement come from? All our culture, even church culture, is looking for the next thrill, the next excitement, the next video game, the next angry birds on your iPad update or whatever it is, looking some kind of buzz, some kind of excitement in church culture, in, in society at large. And John is telling us here, here's the summary of the message this morning, that the word of life is proclaimed so that we have fellowship, so that our joy is complete. So let's just look at those those things together. First, the word of life. The word of life is proclaimed. There are two so that's this passage. So that we have fellowship. So that our joy is complete. First then, the word of life. Now the word of life is the message about Jesus Christ. And John emphasizes several times that his message is about someone that they, that is the apostles, physically saw, actually heard, and even touched. So from verse 1 to the first half of verse 3, John tells us that this person is someone that he has heard, he tells us that twice, touched, he tells us that once, 
and seen, he tells us that four times. And he emphasizes that they saw him with their eyes to make it clear that this was an actual physical seeing, not a mystical experience, but an actual physical person they actually saw with their physical eyes. And he says that this person they saw, heard, and touched is what they proclaim. They testify to this. They're telling us what they actually saw, heard, and touched. This is the word of life, this message about this person, the word of life that gives us eternal life. Now, the first three and a half verses are actually one sentence, you may know, in in the Greek. And they are a particularly tortured sentence, if we're honest, where the verb and the subject of the sentence do not appear until uh, verse 3. And uh, John, uh, as I said, typically writes in this kind of way. And John here is doing it, I think, to put emphasis on the fact that Jesus was seen and heard and touched by starting the sentence in this unusual way. But let us uh, be kind to those of us who are used to writing slightly more straightforward fashions and unjumble the sentence and put it like this. Would it be nice if I did that for you? Oh, good. Uh, By the way, is this microphone turned right down? I feel like I'm shouting to get over there. Can we just pick it up a notch? Is that better? That's a little better. Maybe a little foot higher. How's that? There we go. Yeah, there we go. That's good. Okay. Um, Let me put it like this. This is the sentence. He is saying, we preach to you the word of life about Jesus, who we physically saw and touched and heard ourselves. Now, why does John so emphasize that the word of life has its origins in a real person that they really saw? Because he is writing against a teaching that says that Jesus did not really come in human flesh. So look down with me at John, uh, 1 John chapter 2, verse 22. Who is the liar but he who denies that Jesus is the Christ? Or chapter 4, verse 2. By this you know the Spirit of God... Every spirit that confesses that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is from God. So what he's, what he's countering is an early form of what developed later into what historians know as Gnosticism. Gnosticism was the idea that there was a secret gnosis, a secret knowledge that was given to a select few individuals which did not require Jesus as the Christ in human flesh, nor high standards of morality, a sort of blend of Eastern ideas, Eastern mysticism and Greek philosophy. John emphasizes, now they do know. So again, right at the end of his letter, chapter 5, verse 13, I write these things to you who believe in the Son of, name of the Son of God that you may know that you have eternal life. We know He hears us in whatever we ask. We know that we have the requests that we have asked of Him. So He says, it's just not true that there's a secret knowledge, a, a gnosis that's, that's different from the Orthodox Gospel because John and the apostles saw and heard and physically touched the person of Jesus. 
about whom the word of life is proclaimed. And so all those ideas that are out there these days about there being a secret knowledge that somehow bypassed the early church take their roots back to this heresy that John counters and the early church countered by saying that Polycarp knew John and Irenaeus knew Polycarp and were discipled. And here we have in the Scriptures, no, the apostles physically saw him. Now, the application of this is obvious, isn't it? Thinking about fellowship. If you want fellowship, you have to have doctrine. If you want intimacy, you have to have truth. If you want healthy relationships, you have to have healthy biblical teaching. See, so many people say to themselves, I, I, I feel cut off these days. They're, they're, they're feeling alienated. They're feeling their friendships are not working. I've got this conflict. I'm busy, but I'm not happy because I, I don't have this relational web in my life. Well, what's the answer to that? The answer to that is the word of life. People say, let's remove all the teaching of the Bible and just make everything relative. What's true for you is, you know, just it's different for me. And let's just get along and not worry about what's true about God and salvation, who Jesus was and what he did or what the Bible teaches. You see, fellowship is a thing that comes out of healthy doctrine, the word of life. Story goes that uh, John, towards the end of his life, was so passionate about truth being necessary for fellowship and joy that when he went to the baths and he found there was a well known teacher who was denying that Jesus came in the flesh, he, he simply refused to stay in the bathhouse any longer. He just ran out lest the whole building collapse. Do you want fellowship? You want joy, which is where John is going with this. He's saying the word of life. So first, the word of life. Second, fellowship. Fellowship. Now, that's the main topic for this morning, and we've looked at verses 1 through to the first part of the verse 3, which is setting this up. Now we're going to look next under, under this subtitle of fellowship, under the main theme, the second half of verse 3. So that all of this proclamation of the word of life does something practical. What does it do most practically? So that you too may have fellowship with us. And indeed our fellowship is with the Father and with His Son, Jesus Christ. So fellowship then is something that Christians have with each other and which we have with God the Father and Jesus Christ. What does that mean? That means that fellowship in this biblical sense of the word is not just sitting around holding hands singing kumbaya. It's more than simply human friendship either. Fellowship in this biblical sense of the word is not a natural human connection. The fellowship we have with God the Father through His Son, Jesus Christ, that's the fellowship we have with each other. 
fellowship we have with each other here is a word, koinonia in the Greek, commonality, sharing, connection, fellowship. But the idea behind it cannot be defined simply by looking up in a Greek dictionary. The fellowship we have with each other here is a word that indicates also the fellowship we have with God. Of course, as you know, we don't naturally have fellowship with God because that fellowship was broken by our rebellion against God. The consequence of that historic rebellion, our personal rebellion, is broken fellowship with God, and therefore a broken fellowship with each other. Adam and Eve's rebellion against God was a direct cause of Cain's broken fellowship with Abel. See, because... And then here comes the gospel and it restores our relationships with each other as it restores relationship with God the Father through His Son, Jesus Christ. Because God is a trinity. God the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And therefore, in His own person, He is constantly loving and fellowshipping together. And then we, made in His image, are therefore social beings, relational beings. No one, no single human being has ever been, will, nor will ever be happy as an isolated unit, an island separated from other people. Why? We're made in the image of God the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And therefore, our rebellion against God led to the breaking of our fellowship with God, and the word of life as it restores our fellowship with God, therefore restores our fellowship with each other. It's a supernatural thing. We're in fellowship you're a Christian, you look across the room and there's someone you may not know, if you have fellowship with God the Father, you have fellowship with that person. We're in fellowship this morning. And so John the Apostle saw Jesus, this word of life that restores that fellowship with each other as it restores the fellowship with God, is proclaimed to you this morning as John the Apostle saw Jesus, physically touched him, so that you too may have fellowship with us, and indeed our fellowship is with the Father and His Son, Jesus Christ. And so when you think of the famous benediction at the end of Second Corinthians, the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God, the fellowship of the Holy Spirit will be with you all. That's not just a greeting card, bumper sticker aphorism. It's an expression of what the gospel does. Where the gospel is proclaimed, fellowship flourishes. So, of course, all the application of this is pretty obvious, isn't it? Think of the Middle East at a sort of global level. Sudan. The solution to that is not more religion, it is the word of life. Now this fellowship that has been restored then through the gospel in community must be nourished and nurtured. And so as you look down your Bibles, you find that John picks up the theme right after our passage where he says, verse 6, if we say we have fellowship with him while we walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth, this fellowship must, so verse 7, it must be nurtured. But if we walk in the light, 
As He is in the light, we have fellowship with one another, and the blood of Jesus, His Son, cleanses us from all sin. So the the doctrine that John is writing against did not only teach that Jesus, the false doctrine that John is writing against, did not only teach that Jesus did not really come physically in human flesh, it also taught that it didn't matter how you behaved morally. And John is saying that because fellowship is restored by the word of life, those who receive the word of life will have fellowship with each other. They'll nurture that with love, with love. So you go to 1 John chapter 3, verse 7. Little children, let no one deceive you. Whoever practices righteousness is righteous as he is righteous. Walk in the way worthy of the calling if you received. Work out your salvation with fear and trembling, for it is Christ who is at work in you to will and act according to his good purpose. 1 John chapter 4, verse 7. Beloved. I feel I need to say that like Alistair Begg does whenever I read it. Beloved. Beloved. Let us love one another, for love is from God. And whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. Anyone who does not love does not know God because God is love, eternally loving Himself. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, in perfect communion, pouring that love on us through His Son, Jesus Christ, by His Holy Spirit. Our fellowship with God is created by the word of love, a life that is proclaimed. That fellowship with God creates then a fellowship with each other. Hence, we love each other. We nurture it in small groups or in friendships. Or we love each other. There's another story about the Apostle John later in his life, which is well remembered in church uh, history that illustrates this, this point. Towards the end of his life, John was apparently sort of being carried by his disciples on a stretcher in, in his weakness, and, and John would utter very few words to people when they asked him to say something as this uh, living apostle who had seen and touched Jesus. And apparently all he would say was, little children love one another. You know, and he'd go to the next meeting, and they'd ask for a word, and he would say, little children love one another. And the next meeting, he'd say, little children love one another. And after, you know, after a while, the disciples said, haven't you got anything else to say? And he is reported to reply, that is everything. Now, again, the application is obvious, the nurturing of our love with each other. In this is love, not that we have loved God, but that He loved us and sent His Son to be the propitiation for our sins. We have restored that fellowship through the word of life, and hence we, we nurture it. The word of life proclaimed, so that there is fellowship. So that third, this is deep, this is profound, so that Joy. Look down at verse 4. 
We are writing these things so that purpose statement, this is what he's getting to, word of life proclaimed, so that fellowship, so that, third, our joy may be complete. You're looking for excitement, you're looking for a thrill, you're looking for joy, so that our joy may be complete. Word of life is proclaimed, fellowship, complete joy. This joy is John's goal. He learnt it from Jesus. John chapter 15, verse 11. These things I have spoken to you, that my joy may be in you, that your joy may be full. And so John expresses that same goal here. And then in each of his three letters also, uh, 2 John 12, so that our joy may be complete. Again, 3 John 4, I have no greater joy. Here's the same message in a different context. I have no greater joy. There's the joy. Than to hear that my children, the fellowship, are walking in the truth, the word of life. No greater joy than to hear that my children are walking in the truth. You see, Christianity is not the religion of the long face or the puritanical scowl, as they've been misunderstood, but of joy. Now, many people have tried to define joy. Joy, it is usually said, is different from happiness. For happiness is short-lived and joy is long-lasting. Sometimes it is said that joy is not merely excitement. For joy is not just feeling good, but consistently being joyful. More than elevated feelings, joy is a mode of being. Well, those definitions uh, may well be helpful and others like them, but John here does not define joy in that sort of traditional way. He defines joy here as a result of something and as a destination. He defines joy as a result of something. The word of life is proclaimed so that you have fellowship, so that you have joy. And as a destination, that our joy may be complete. So the best I can do then with that, my friends, is that joy is the result of being in a right relationship with God and His people. That joy begins now and is finally completed in the new heaven and the new earth. Joy is the pleasure 
of living in harmony with the purpose of the universe, namely communion with God and community with His people. Now, I know and you know that you can get your chemical buzz by other means, a brief high from some substance or other, or even from exercise. But you can only taste joy by being in fellowship with God and His people. And that comes from the word of life as it is proclaimed. My friends, do you begin to see how important this gospel-centered, God-centered vision is for the health of our relationships, fellowship, and even the experience of joy itself? And so I want to take a moment then at the end of this sermon to preach the message back in reverse. The message is that the word of life is proclaimed so that there is fellowship, so that there is joy. But let's do that in reverse and ask some important questions. Do we have joy? Of course, temperament comes into it. Some people are more naturally happy than others. And of course, circumstances come into it. In, in some situations, it's more difficult to be happy than in other situations. Some people have had experiences in their life whereby feeling happy it seems to them to be a sort of will-o'-the-wisp experience that seems always just outside of their grasp. But joy is different. Strangely, uh, Christians who are mature will say, you can be joyful even when you are unhappy. Do you have that joy? Comes out of a restored relationship to God and His people. And if not, perhaps you need to ask yourself how your relationship with God is going. The sign of a relationship with God in need of attention is often a lack of joy. I'm not talking about depression or melancholic personalities. I've come across Christians who, who suffer deeply with such things who will nonetheless tell you that like a crack in a window pane that is darkened, joy will shine through. I remember one time after a particularly busy season, a couple of Christians taking me out for a walk in the snow on their own initiative, and then back for a quiet meal in their room. I was as tired as I had been at the start, but in their fellowship, I had joy. Joy comes from fellowship with God in fellowship with each other. That comes from the proclamation of the word of life. 
Perhaps there is nothing in this world that is more desired than joy. Perhaps every illicit excitement, every dangerous thrill, every multi-selling movie or book is an attempt to provide us with surrogate joy. Substitute joy. And yet here it is. From the proclamation of the word of life, which creates fellowship with God and then with each other, and whose result is joy. The gospel does this, nothing else will. Our Father, as we look at your word this morning together, we take a moment now to receive that word of life, to be refreshed by it, to see the fellowship with you that it creates and with each other. And to celebrate the joy that we have as a result. Father, I pray for those who experience, they feel little joy. Father, would you drive the message of this sermon deep into their hearts? That they would receive your word of life. Turn from the darkness, as John calls it, into the light. And so have fellowship with you renewed, restored, and fellowship with each other. And so joy. The word of life, so that fellowship, so that joy. We praise you in Jesus' name. Amen.